14th of April 1999 is a day I suspect I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. The afternoon started unusually enough as it was. I was living uh, with my guardians here in Australia in Kensington at the time, a family of four who uh, very kindly allowed me to live with them. And uh, the power had gone out some point, maybe around about the middle of the day. And so we, the, the two brothers and I, decided that we were going to do what we imagined uh, people in prior ages did, and we were going to play Monopoly by candlelight, as you do, uh, being rather bored given the lack of electronic entertainment. And so we, we got Monopoly out and we were seat up and we had the candles going. Uh, it turns out the power was out across the whole suburb and it was some fairly major fault that had happened at a local intersection, so it was going to take a while for the power to come back. And we thought we were prepared for what was coming. We thought that we were well set up for an evening of friendship-destroying bartering. Now, um, how the game progressed, history doesn't recall. I'm sure I was winning. Uh, when, when There came a moment in the game when what sounded like someone throwing a rock at the water heater outside startled us. And we, everyone kind of looked at each other and we thought we'd better pause the game and go and see what's going on. And we wandered outside and as we were heading out, another rock was thrown at the house. And again, we heard a loud crash as it hit onto the, the sunroof over the deck out the back. And it was then that we became aware that we'd been hearing for a little while, although it hadn't really kind of uh, clicked for any of us, a roaring sound just in the background slowly coming our way, and all of a sudden, the world ended. At least, that's what it seemed like. As rocks began to pelt down, bang, bang, bang. It was, of course, the Sydney hailstorm. The uh, the event which still, I believe, holds the record for the largest amount of damage caused by a natural phenomenon in Australia, $2.3 billion worth of damage, they estimate. Now, you might remember, uh, if you were around back then, I, I, I went and looked for some photos. This was before smartphones, by the way, uh, so there aren't quite as many photos around as there would be if it happened today. But look, here's a few of them. Uh, here's, uh, here's up against the cricket ball. And you can see the size. Someone's very helpfully put a tape measure out. We went and collected some of our own and we held them up next to tennis balls. This this wasn't my photo, but this was what we saw. Uh, wrapped them up in plastic and whacked them in the freezer where they sat for a very long time. Um, I'm not quite sure why we kept them. But it, it, looked, uh, it looked like it had snowed. Such was the amount of ice that had fallen. And of course... Uh, cars were damaged for a long time afterwards all through the eastern suburbs. You'd see cars that we, we described them as quilted. The roof would have these undulations through them. Uh, and of course, not long after the whole event, photo, aerial photos started to emerge of just the tarps everywhere, covering destroyed roofs. We thought we were prepared. I remember stepping out the front of the house and in the middle of the hailstorm and seeing one of the neighbours who was truly caught unprepared. He had just bought a brand new convertible soft top BMW. And as the hail fell, there he was trying to hold an umbrella over his car to somehow stop the damage. Of course, 
the hail cared for neither the umbrella nor the soft top. It had no effect, and in the end, he just had to run back inside before he himself suffered the consequences. It was an unexpected storm, severe, with very significant consequences. Now, I wonder if we knew that storm was coming, what might we have done to prepare, to be ready for it? In some ways, the scale, the magnitude of that disaster meant that there wasn't really much we could have done. Perhaps parked your car under some form of proper shelter. I remember that the service stations were just gridlocked with cars underneath it as the hail fell. But the most we could do was hope we'd survive. Today, we have one simple question to consider. What sort of spirituality will endure the storm? What sort of spirituality will endure the storm? Now, the question really is about the spirituality. The question is about how we need to respond to God. But I want to stop and consider the storm first. As Jesus teaches that a storm is coming. Now, look, lots of us are going to face storms in life. You might be going through one right now. The period that you're in, whether it's been short or for a long time, you might well feel like that hailstorm had nothing on what you're experiencing. And while Jesus' teaching, it will help us through the storms of life, okay? While it is going to, uh, to, to steady us and to see us through even the worst of this life, Jesus has in mind a much greater, bigger, more important, more devastating storm. The one that's going to come at the end. It's summarized so well for us in just one verse I want to read from Acts chapter 10. Uh, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 42, Peter is talking about what Jesus told them to preach. And he says this, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. You see, this is the storm that Jesus has in mind, Judgment Day. And I'm not talking about the Terminator movie, as good as that was. That's not what Jesus had in mind. No, he had in mind the day when every action and thought and decision and inclination and desire of every single one of us is brought into the light and weighed up and rewarded or not, as the case may be. A storm that has such important consequences that these consequences last into all eternity. A storm that puts everything else, well, really makes it pale in comparison. You see, imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment that your entire life was, uh, was your history was put onto a DVD. Someone made a documentary. Well, it wasn't really a documentary. It had been more uh, reality TV. You'd been filmed the whole way along and somehow someone had managed to capture your thoughts and they placed them as subtitles onto this film. I want you to stop and think for a moment about that. Who would you show that DVD to? If your life is anything like mine, and I believe it is, then the answer is nobody, of course. And yet God himself will watch it. See, the storm that's coming really is, it's a flood. It's destructive force. The picture in the Bible, I think that is the closest to what is to come, is, is the flood in Noah's time. 
when the entire world was destroyed, every single human being for their rebellion against God, for their wickedness and their evil, God called them to account. Now, they were warned. I mean, Noah must have taken him, what, 100 years or so to build that ark? It was huge. Day after day after day. Noah, you clown. You're still building that boat. What are you doing? Well, a flood's coming. A storm awaits. A storm that will see destruction. A storm that puts all of our other trials, and look, they may be severe, But this storm puts all other trials in their place. Really, they end up seeming trivial by comparison. I mean, I'm sure that the people back in Noah's time had just the same sorts of trials we have now. I'm sure there were people who had financial woes, right, who owed just a few too many camels and had no ways to repay. There were people who had relational issues where there was breakdown and discord, where there was abuse happening. I'm sure there were people who were left in in all kinds of difficulties with their parenting and single parenting and and having to deal with recalcitrant children and the breakdown in those sorts of relationships. I'm sure there were people who were struggling with addictions. They had the same problems that I'm sure we do, and yet the one thing they should have been ready for above all the rest, was the storm. Jesus, speaking with God's own authority, and not like the scribes we read, not like others who, who, who recited ideas and had no real sense of what they had to say. No, Jesus who spoke as God's king with full knowledge of what, to, of what is to come, who spoke as the one who is the judge, warns us there's a storm coming. Be prepared. Now, whatever view it is that you have of the world, whatever spirituality or religion or worldview, call it whatever you like, must account for that. It must prepare you for that day. To be honest, otherwise it's useless. However much nice how much niceness, however many good things it might promise you in this life, how much it might bring you relief or solace or comfort or even just a logical framework within which to understand the world. If it doesn't prepare you for the storm to come, then really it's a waste of time. It's like putting a band-aid onto stage four cancer. Now you see Jesus says to face the storm you need to have the right foundation. You need to be grounded in the right thing. I uh, I thoroughly enjoy watching Grand Designs. It's a a British TV show where they build houses. Uh, I'm I'm getting old. There's an Australian spin-off and a Kiwi spin-off and a whole bunch of others, but the the British one really is Kevin MacLeod and it's good fun. We watched an episode recently where this couple decided to renovate and build onto an old barn. It was a beautiful old building, lovely timber and all the rest of it. The problem was that this fantastic hundreds years old barn had essentially no foundations. It was just built onto the ground. And to make matters worse, it was built onto a hillside on very clayey, slippery soil in an area that received vast amounts of rain. And the concern was that at any given point in time, the entire building could just slide off down the hill. 
taking their hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of investment with it. So they had to remedy it. They had to drill and place new foundations, 12 metre deep concrete piles. that They had to drill down dozens of these things the whole way around the structure to somehow stabilise it and provide a foundation that in the face of, well, any storm would stand. In the face of our storm, Jesus says this from Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded against that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But... Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a fool who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the wind blew and pounded that house and it collapsed and great was its fall. You see, there is something that will prepare you for the storm. Did you notice the difference between the wise man and the fool here? I mean, it's a very simple picture. We make children's songs out of it. I'm not quite sure why we make children's songs out of this one. It's a pretty ghastly story, but it's very simple to understand. Build it on the right foundation and it will stand. And what is that right foundation? Well, it's not just hearing the words of Jesus. Both the wise man and the fool heard them. The difference was, did they act? upon the words of Jesus. What words? Well, the words we've spent the last two months studying. Right, verse 7, chapter 7, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. Chapter 7, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Verse 1, do not judge so that you won't be judged. Chapter 6 and verse 25, I tell you, don't worry about your life what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? 6.19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Chapter 6 and verse 5, whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, but when you do pray, go into the private your private room, shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret and pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name be honoured as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done. Chapter 6 and verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Chapter 5 and verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And on it goes. Now, again, we've reiterated the whole way through this series, and I want to make it clear again. This teaching isn't Jesus saying, you've got to try harder that the right foundation, that the rock to build your life on is to make sure you're good enough, to make sure that you've worked hard enough, that you've done the religious works, that whatever it is, fill in the blank, that you have done. That is not it. No, the works, the response, the acts that come from hearing Jesus' word begin with right relationship. Begin with being able to call God Father. The the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, 
right in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, encapsulates that for us so well. When you pray, when you talk to God, you ought to talk to him in absolute humility, in dependence upon him as your father. Really, it's a relationship that to understand properly, we need to read the rest of the gospel. If it's a relationship that you don't have yet, can I urge you, spend the next couple of weeks Do it today. It'll only take a couple of hours and read through the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. Read through the rest of the good news because it's a relationship that unfolds, that is, that finds its fulfillment, its beginning. It's all in the sacrifice that Jesus will pay as he died in the end in our place such that in the face of that storm, of that judgment to come, our penalty might already have been paid. It's a relationship that starts in the words from the sermon with seeking, with asking, with knocking, with coming to God and saying, please, would you give me what I need? Most of all, forgiveness and reconciliation that I might be yours once again. It's a relationship that is based on being loved and accepted and restored. Not loved because we're attractive, It's not that God saw us and went, you are such a good person. David, you're amazing. I want to love you. No. But because we are loved in the Lord Jesus, we are made to be like him. This is to hear and to act, to understand that Jesus calls us into the right relationship with God. The one who is the judge to come now wants to give us freedom. Freedom from that judgment, to know that it has already been paid, to know that in the storm to come, we'll be safe. We'll be safe. What a freedom this brings into the life of the Christian. Edwina and I have uh, tried camping a number of times in our married life. Uh, we, we, we understand it's a thing people do. I, we both love the outdoors. And so early on, we thought we'd, we'd give it a go. It seemed like a slightly cheaper option for holidays. Uh, the very first time we were going to camp, uh, on the day we were due to travel to the campsite, there was a severe weather warning for the area we were going to camp in. Uh, massive rain, damaging hail and gale force winds. We decided not to. The second time we went uh, camping, again, we borrowed equipment. We went down to uh, Jarvis Bay. We found this beautiful little campsite on the river. We were set up, ready to go. As we were driving into the campsite, the owner of the campsite who met us at the gate said, oh, you guys are keen. <laughs> we said, well, what was that supposed to mean? He said, well, the forecast is that it's just going to pour with rain all week. And it did. The third time we went camping, we thought, all right, this is it. We're going, this is going to be a great experience. We borrowed a camper trailer. We'd kind of been leveling up each time, trying to work out a way to be able to sleep well and rest well and have a good time. We borrowed a camper trailer. We thought, we're off the ground. We're ready to go. Three days in, gale force winds to where the camper trailer started to bend. Edwina went and slept in the car because she was afraid it was going to collapse. You see, in the face of a storm, how on earth do you feel secure? 
I, ca- I can't sleep. The, the, the flapping tent, the, the ropes that you have to tighten. You're out in the night hammering pegs down, digging trenches to somehow try and protect yourself. You're desperately trying to make it so that you can sleep peacefully. Really what it turns out, that if you want to sleep peacefully, what you need to do is just go inside. <laughs> Come into the house. Come home to where it is secure, to where everything is already done. Oh, what joy and peace it brings to know the Lord Jesus, to be the Son of the Father, to know that the judgment has been paid for, that however much the storm of the judgment day will rage, we are already secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. What freedom it brings to this life, no longer consumed with trying to find a way into comfort, with trying to find a way into security, with trying to find a sense that come judgment will be okay. To know that it's been paid for, to be freed, to live out as a response, God's life. You see, the way to stand firm tomorrow is by acting today on the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, only a fool builds a house without the certainties of tomorrow in mind. Only a fool spends their life labouring for what they can gain, utterly unprepared for the judgment to come. And you've been warned You have heard Jesus' words. Last week as he spoke of the gate and the narrow path, as he spoke of the difficulty of finding our way here, as he spoke of the horrors of hell. You you could spend your life building a very beautiful house. And I don't mean that in the physical sense of, building a house and renovating it. I mean in this in this sense of the, the spiritual world, the, the religious life, being right with God. Your house could look phenomenal. You, you might attend church, or at least you would if you could. You, you listen to the sermons religiously. You are pious and practice the religious works. But if you have not asked, if you have not sought God, knocked on the door, asked Jesus to enter into your life, to bring you forgiveness for your sins, a new relationship with the Father and a restoration that you might be His and His yours, then your foundations are sand. And your house, as beautiful as it may be, will not stand. This really is the heart of the gospel. And friends, it's the gospel that's the same, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. If you're watching this and you don't know Jesus, this is absolutely for you. Come, find him today. You you can move your house from the sand onto the rock. And if you're a Christian, it's the same message. Come to the Lord Jesus once again, always entrusting yourself onto him. The gospel that saves the words that we must hear and act upon. For they are words that teach us how to be brought into God's family in the first place, forgiveness and reconciliation, how to be restored into a right relationship with God and the same words that then teach us how to live out that relationship, 
how to hear God in his word and live it. There's lots of storms in life. Again, you might be going through one right now. You might be about to enter into one. Life is hard right now for many of us. You might be holding on by a thread. I want you to hold on tight to the Lord Jesus. I want your foundation to be set in hearing his word and acting upon it. For the person who does that will, will see it through. See, I think this is a promise for the last day, for the judgment day, and yet it's a promise that filters down into life now. There's a truth, a reality to this. You are gra- if you are grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ to hear his word and to act upon it, God will see you through the storms of this life. He's not promising you won't have them. He's not promising that the tough times won't come. In fact, if you remember all the way back in chapter 5, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Blessed are you. You're going to get your own special kind of storm for being a Christian. And yet, grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, like the church in Thessalonica, I was reading this week in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, rejoicing as they received the gospel, even through suffering, even through persecution, because of the hope that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ. A hope that was so much greater and grander and more beautiful and safer and stronger than any storm the world brought. But look, if you're a Christian person, I want you to reflect back on the last couple of months. Today is the last in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We've spent the last two and a bit months listening to Jesus. What has changed in your life? Have you heard and acted? It might be worth this afternoon to stop and read through the Sermon on the Mount again. Right, starting back in chapter 5 and verse 1 all the way through to the end of chapter 7 and reflecting upon your own life to stop and to thank God. Thank Him for the times and the places that you can see that He has been changing you. And most certainly to ask that He would continue that work. To humble ourselves before Him putting aside our pride and our ego, putting aside our laziness and most definitely seeking to put aside our sin, that we might hear his word and act. Look, if you're somebody who's watching this and you think to yourself, you know what, I'm not sure that I have. I'm not sure that I have entrusted myself to Jesus, that I might have salvation and confidence for the storm that is to come. I want to give you an opportunity to do it now. There's no better time. Don't don't stop and wait and think and put it off till tomorrow. Don't dilly-dally and muck around. The people in Noah's times were caught by surprise. Despite having heard time and time and time again, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. The storm is coming. Get ready. Don't delay, don't put it off. Ask, seek, knock. If that's you, I want to give you a chance now to do that. There's some words going to come up on the screen. This is a simple prayer. 
a chance for you to talk to God and to begin to fix the relationship. Three simple words, thank you, sorry and please. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Thank you that Jesus paid the price. I'm sorry for my rebellion. I'm sorry that I've lived for myself and not you. Please forgive me. Please accept me as your child. Please make me yours. I'm going to leave that prayer up on the screen for just another minute. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, why don't you pray that prayer? If you have prayed that prayer, we need to trust that God hears. For those who ask, they will be given. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, the door is opened. So this is the beginning of a relationship with God. I want to help you. I want to help you work out what this means, what it looks like in your life. Make sure you let us know. You can find the contact details at barneysingleburn.com forward slash contact. Send me through a note. I'll be in touch with you. We'll talk, we'll pray some more together, we'll read the Bible. I want to help you learn what this new relationship means for you. I'm going to pray to to close our time now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, the one who is our rock, the one in whom the storm can be met head on with no fear. Father, we ask that you would make every one of us not only hearers, but doers. Those who act upon your word. Those who have entrusted themselves to the Lord Jesus and those who are now being transformed to be like your son. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.